Welcome to the Atlanta Career Journey Podcast. Today's guest is Nicole Siokis, who is Partner and Chief Operating Officer at TechCXO. I first met Nicole when we worked together at Sprint, and she was one of our amazing military veterans at Sprint Hired. I remember her having such a great work ethic, very motivated, highly customer-focused, and demonstrated servant leadership. Her career progressed in the telecom before pivoting to focus on executive recruiting. She eventually led MomCore Atlanta before joining TechCXO in her current role. I'm excited to have Nicole on the podcast to hear more about her amazing journey. So welcome to the podcast, Nicole. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, we were talking before the recording just uh, how long it's been since we've known each other and uh, stayed connected over the years. So yeah, Sprint was a, an amazing place to sort of get started back into the private sector for you and a number of other military veterans. So I just want to thank you for your service as well as the others that we worked with. It, it, it means a lot to us private citizens. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I um, I came from a long line of uh, military veterans. My father and my grandfather were in the military as well. So um, it almost felt like it was something that, you know, that I needed <laughs> Expected, to go right, right out of college. Yeah, exactly, out of college. But, uh, you know, working for Sprint was a great, because I think because we had so many veterans there, it mm-hmm. was a great way sort of, you know, to transition out of the military world into, um, you know, what, what was the start of my civilian career. Well, you know, I, I talked to Steve Woodcock earlier on one of these episodes. And, oh, wow. you know, I think that you all have, I, I mean, just great leadership training, you know, it's expected going in there as, as an officer and, um, you know, you're, you're able to take on really big projects. And so it wasn't like it was your first job. I mean, you guys and girls all hit the ground running. And um, I think that was really impressive. And I think it says a lot about companies who recognize that and are willing to offer up, you know, those types of uh, positions for military veterans coming back into the workforce. Yeah, I, I think it, it you, it's interesting, too, to see the number of companies that have grown to really appreciate that. I feel like over my career, I've seen a, probably a, a significant increase in the number of um, companies that are actively looking to find veterans uh, to fill different, you know, even from entry level up to leadership positions. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and I saw you went to uh, Mannheim American High School. And so I'm like, that sounds like Germany to me. So I like looked on a map and I'm like, oh, it's near Heidelberg. And I had actually two classmates from high school that enlisted in the in the army and were stationed in Heidelberg, probably at the same time you were in high school. It's pretty funny. Yeah. So my dad, like I said, my dad was in the military and he his first, I think, assignment was in Germany. And then he ended up meeting my mom, who's German. Um, so during his career, we were sort of back and forth between the United States and Germany, and we did a brief stint in the Middle East. Um, but, uh, yeah, so during, uh, my high school years is when he happened to be stationed in Germany. Gotcha. So tell me a little bit about your, where you grew up. So were you born in Germany? I was born in Germany. Um, and then we were there for a year or two, I think after I was born, came back to Arizona, um, which was Arizona. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's beautiful. Um, and then went back to Germany um, and then back to Arizona. And then we went to um, Saudi Arabia for a couple of years and then back to, um, to Mannheim, which is where I went to high school. And, um, and then while I was in high school, you know, looking at different colleges obviously a lot different than it is now, no internet, any of that stuff. Right. And um, looked at different schools and really sort of thought about schools that were near family or places that I knew. 
Mm -hmm. And um, a gentleman that was dating our high school counselor um, was a professor at Clemson University. So he came okay. over to, uh, to Germany and he talked to a handful of us. And um, I had another friend that was very interested in one of their science programs. And she, uh, she and her really good friends. And, and we both applied to Clemson and we're like, okay, sounds good. So that's where I ended up at school. And um, and my parents were in Columbia, South Carolina after I graduated um, school in Germany. So it was good. So they were, I was far enough apart from them that I could go home on the weekends, but not that I actually had to live at home. So yeah, that's um, great. Yeah. So I ended up at Clemson and then went well, through. Well, I want to ask you a little bit about your high school experience because I know yeah. um, going to school overseas, um, probably very different, but you probably had a lot of classmates that were also a uh, military family. Mm-hmm. Um, were there some subjects that you, gravitated towards what some that you liked you excelled at what were some maybe extracurricular activities that you were involved in um i that's a really good question i um always gravitated actually more towards the um what i would say maybe like the arts so like language arts and and um and those types of things probably less so on the sciences side um and then extracurricular it's interesting, and we talked about this earlier about sort of how our career aspirations change as you get older. But when I was in high school, um, I was on the dance team, and then I was president of um, my class, and I was president of the honor society. And it was interesting while I was in high school, I had these aspirations of you know being uh, in leadership roles as I got older, and um, you know we can talk about that a little bit more in a you know in a little bit, but. Um, but yes, when I was younger, not sure that I necessarily had um, a specific idea in mind of what I wanted to do. I just knew that I liked um, I liked being in different leadership roles. Well, it sort of maybe was the foundation for what you wound up doing later in your career, which um, was great. So you did you um, did you think coming out of high school you were going to go to college, or were you thinking of going straight into the military, or were you thinking of maybe doing something else in Europe? Um, I knew that I was going to go to college and I actually went through college on an ROTC scholarship, which is, um, you know, the reason that I ended up in the military. Um, when you go through on an ROTC scholarship, you owe them, um, four years of active duty, not Mm -hmm. always active duty, but in my case it was active duty. Some, um, some folks end up in the reserves, but I ended up active duty. So I did know that I was going to go to college and, yeah. And then subsequently knew I was going to go in the military because of my scholarship. Yeah, I started out as a Navy ROTC at Georgia Tech. And uh, it was four active and two reserve was the deal at the time. And uh, I I washed out. I won't say I washed out, but I, I just didn't think that the military was right for me. I struggled with some grades and it was just a lot of soul searching I did. So I wound up dropping it after my first year. But yeah, it was uh, had a lot of friends that went through it, you know, wound up becoming, you know, commissioned officers and some have, are still in the military today. So it's a great opportunity to uh, one pay for school, um, yeah. get some great experience. You know, you're, I know at the Navy, they had summer cruises. Um, curious to see what, what um, when we talk about your college, about what your summer activities were as part of the Army ROTC. Yeah. Um, you know, the Army, it's interesting because I graduated college in 1992. So um, the economy wasn't great back then. So for me, I was really grateful that, you know, I knew that I was going to have a job right out of college too. Yeah. So, um, you know, and it's, 
it's humbling to go into that kind of a role where you're, you know, 21, 22 years old. And as an officer, you're immediately in charge of, you know, 30 or 40 um, people, depending on, you know, what branch you're going into. And if you're in a platoon leader role, who all have way more experience than you do. So, you know, you're put in a leadership role, but you have to be humble enough to, you know, to listen to those folks that have more experience than you. Yeah, that's, that's really true. I, I do want to talk about that. So tell me, so you get to decide on Clemson, um, uh-huh. come back to the States, you know, it's, you know, Clemson's not a metropolis by any stretch, you know, was there some adjustment to, um, you know, either life back in the U.S., being on your own, being at Clemson? Uh, tell me what that transition was like for you. Yes, yes, and yes. It was a big, <laughs> because at that point, I had gone from living in the Middle East in Saudi Arabia to going to high school in Germany. So at that point, I had been outside of the U.S. for about seven years. So mm-hmm. coming back to Clemson, um, you know, I had missed. So people were talking about TV shows and all these different things. I had no idea what, you know, a lot of these folks were talking about. So yeah. coming back um, was a big change. And he, the interesting thing is, and my friend Amy, who, uh, who I went to high school with, who also went to Clemson, it was interesting for us, too, because it was both of our first times living in the South. And it was a big adjustment, you know, especially like folks, one of my neighbors at Clemson was from Easley, um, South Carolina, and he had a really heavy Southern accent and mm-hmm. such an awesome person and, and, um, and such a, you know, such a fun person to be around. And, um, but, you know, just getting, getting used to different you know accents and, and different <laughs> ways of, of being, uh, it was definitely a big transition. Yeah. Like, Drinking know. sweet tea and uh, yeah, exactly. yeah, college football defines you. Yeah. 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 But it was that going to Clemson was a great match for me. Though. It was good. So, match. so what did you, um, what did you major in? Did you know going in what you wanted to do or did you have to shift things around a little bit or. So I was a business major, um, okay. a generic business degree, but you know, at that point, like I said earlier, I still had aspirations for being, you know, a senior executive at a, at that time, at a large corporation, I wanted to be a you know vice president or president of a division or a company, and um, so I was like, "Oh, I'm sticking with my uh, with my inter- with my um, business degree with a focus in international with a like uh, being a minor in international." Thinking at that point, I might do something internationally as well. Yeah, well, I think that's um, because you already had that experience of living overseas. Um, I know for me personally, a lot of the folks that I went to school with, you know, they'd never been out of the country. Some had never been out of the state. And the thought of actually, you know, whether it's even traveling abroad or studying abroad or living abroad um, was such a foreign concept at the time. And I think that probably, you know, gave you a little more of an advantage to say, you know what, it's not such a foreign place. You know, you can get navigate around and, you know, you've you've been able to adapt and assimilate to local culture and all that. So it probably opened your doors up a little bit more. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think anytime you have the opportunity to, uh, even if it's in the United States, to live in different places and, um, you know, experience different cultures and things like that, it just helps you adapt, you know, better or more easily probably in different situations. For sure. Yeah. But I think too, you also had, like you said, um, you knew you were going to have a job coming out of school. So yeah. it wasn't like you were trying to figure out who's hiring, where do I need to intern and all right. that. But, but tell me a little bit about your um, your summer activities that uh, that the army put you through. So um, 
up until my junior year. So while I was at Clemson going through um, on the ROTC scholarship, I had to take different um, specific, you know, ROTC specific classes and we would have um, exercises that we'd have to go do, like field exercises on the weekends sometimes while I was at college. But in terms of summer commitments, I didn't have to do anything until the summer between my junior and senior year. Okay. Uh, up until that point, I was free to just go work, um, you know, normal summer jobs. And then the uh, summer between my junior and senior year, I had to go to a um, sort of like a basic training type of a camp um, specific to um, to folks who are on ROTC. Um, and that was in actually in Fort Lewis, Washington, which I don't know if you've ever been to Washington. It's beautiful out there. But, um, yeah. but uh, and that was... Uh, I want to say five weeks it was a five week training camp. And, um, you know, they put you in different leadership scenarios and training scenarios, and then you get an evaluation um, at the end of that, um, that five week period. Interesting. Yeah. And that evaluation then ends up driving or is part of at least the decision-making process that the military goes through and they evaluate what branch you want to go into. So when you're graduating, college um and you're about to go into the military you fill out this whole packet and you know you put down your first second and third choices of which branch you want to go into so for example if you want to be an aviator or you know in my case i put signal uh to, which is telecommunications officer um you know, whatever branches of the military so you rank those and then um and then you can also but if you want to go active duty or reserve, so you fill all that out and then your rating at that camp weighs into the army army's decision-making um, process when they're evaluating your packet. Gotcha. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. I know there's some other folks that told me a little bit about their experiences and um, I know from uh, like military Academy grads is, you know, similar process, but um, maybe a little bit different as well, but um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Now yeah. I got to ask you as a female, cadet, you know, I'm sure there were challenges being, you know, certainly in the minority and dealing with maybe a little bit of locker room mentality and some other things. Um, did you experience some of that? If you did, how did you sort of rise above that? Um, you know, that's a really good question. I would say for the most part, I was very fortunate that I didn't have a lot of um, those issues. Not to say that I didn't mm -hmm. um, of any, but for the most part, they were, um, you know, I worked with very respectful people. Um, and I do think that some of it goes into how you um, approach relationships with people. You know, the Army is very, um, uh, you know, very clear that as an officer and enlisted, you don't want to hang out and mix. And I think as a female, you probably need to be a little bit even more heightened to that on on, you know, what you do on your spare time, unfortunately, and, mm -hmm. you know, and who you hang out with. But for the most part, I really was very lucky and I just didn't have a ton of, ton of issues at all. That's great. Yeah. You know, my squad leader, my freshman year was a female. She was, uh, she was a junior and she was a Marine Corps with a call option. And so wow. she was tough. Um, yeah. she was, uh, definitely had a lot of, um, I think just discipline and, but she was, she was fair and she was treated just like anybody else and uh, very respectful. So uh, I'm glad you had a similar yeah. experience. No, yeah, I absolutely did. I, I uh, worked with a really just 
very lucky in my career to work with a really good group of people. That's awesome. So you go into Signal Corps. My dad was a Signal Corps in Korea back in the oh, day. Oh, wow. But uh, yeah, looked a lot different back then. But um, <laughs> yeah, cryptography and some other things he was involved in was pretty funny. Um, so tell me about your first job coming out. So you're graduating college. Now you're going back in the military. What's that transition look like? Yeah, so I'm in. So you want to know about my time in the military? Is that, that's just yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I joined the military, uh, graduated in 92, then go to basic an officer basic camp and I was there for um, six to nine months something like that was the, the basic course where you're learning about in my case signal for um, you know the technical aspect of the job and there's some generic leadership stuff that goes in there as well and that was in Augusta um, Georgia mm -hmm. and um, at the time I was actually supposed to go to um, a company a, yeah, a company out in Arizona um, the brigade headquarters was in Arizona, but they did have a small company that they were that brigade had, that they were just launching in Augusta at Fort Gordon. Mm -hmm. And, um, I happened to meet another officer at one, like out at the, um, officer's club for lunch or something like that and told him that I was supposed to go to Arizona. And he said, Oh, that brigade is starting a company here in Augusta. We actually need lieutenants. Let me see if I can get you reassigned. I'm like, Oh, that's great. I'll, I'm happy to stay here. So I ended up getting reassigned, staying in Augusta. And that uh, battalion that I ended up joining um, in Augusta deployed to Somalia shortly afterwards. So um, shortly after I um, became a platoon leader there. So we, um, in 1993, headed out to Somalia to, um, to set up all the communications for the UN forces there. And wow. um, yeah, so I deployed a, a platoon out to Somalia. We set everything up and, um, and I was there for just under five months. So that How was, was that experience. It was great. That's my first, that was my first, like, okay, here we go. <laughs> um, but you know what, what, so, you know, we were the first ones in from a, you know, infrastructure support infrastructure, um, perspective and, um, like I mentioned, we did all the communications for the um, for the UN forces, and it was interesting to meet these um, soldiers from different companies who'd never used, for example, a telephone before. So, um, as an example, we would um, set up a phone in like one of the command centers, and we had to physically explain to them, "Hey, when you pick up the phone, put it to your ear, and then you have to hang it back up again." Like they would use the phone, the handset, and then they would just sort of lay it down. Like, no, no, you have to, you have to put it back on the receiver and hang up the call. And, um, you know, and just like, just experiencing the different cultures and, and um, that part was neat. And then the, the sort of the other side of that was my platoon was spread out throughout the city. So, you know, having to travel to the different sites and, you know, it was, um, you know, we weren't necessarily very well received by some of the, um, mm -hmm. some of the Somalis. And so, you know, worrying about the safety of all these soldiers and making sure that we were doing the right things to keep them safe. And, um, you know, as a, at that time, I was 23 years old. As a 23-year-old, you know, basically a year out of college, um, there there's no better way to learn than sort of jumping right in and, you um, you know, having to think about a million different things that 
normally you probably wouldn't have to think about. Yeah. Did they give you, did the army give you any sort of, um, I don't know, culture training or onboarding or was a lot of it just kind of on the fly or just, you know, you get there, you talk to people that have been there and ask them how do things, you know, work around here? How do you assimilate? Was, what, tell me a little bit about that. So it was definitely on the fly. There was, there was not a whole lot of um, pre-learning. Although I will tell you at that point, you know, we had folks who had been to, uh, to the Gulf War. We had folks that had been de- deployed to Bosnia and Haiti. So, um, so, you know, going into some of these countries wasn't necessarily brand new to, um, to a lot of the folks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that goes back to the point I was making earlier about this was my first time doing something like this. But the people who worked for me, it wasn't necessarily their first time, which goes back to being, you know, humble enough to um, to say, look, I don't know necessarily what I'm doing. Um, I need you to, um, you know, to share your experiences with me and help me through this. And um, so from that aspect, that's where a lot of the training came from was from the people that I worked with, not necessarily Mm -hmm. formally trained through, um, you know. The, the basic course or anything like that. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's, that is really interesting that you, you know, 23 years old and you're managing people that might be 20 or 30 years your senior, certainly yeah. have a lot more experience doing what they're doing. Uh, tell me how you approach, you know, from leadership, you know, I, cause I, I've, I've seen you at Sprint and I, I know how you, um, you know, sort of manage people at all levels, but as a brand new manager, tell me, walk me through that process. Yeah. You know, I think, um, <sighs> Going back to the, the, this has sort of always been my um, my mantra is you know servant leadership, humble leadership, mm-hmm. um, you know surrounding yourself with people who um, who know what they're doing and, and learning from them. So you know, as a 23 year old second lieutenant, I mean, I was so green, and you know, I had the book training that I had been through. You know, the but the, the stuff that you learn by reading and. and you know, in the books, it's the theory. Yeah. Yeah. The theory is so different than what you do in the, in the real applications. World. So, yeah. you know, and, and one of the things too, that I think I have learned over the years is you also have to trust your gut to some extent, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know at 23 years old, you're, you're still sort of figuring your gut out, but mm-hmm. you start, it starts to evolve. I mean, I think you do have at that point enough experiences that you're starting to listen to the you know, to your gut and your, you know, sort of the voice in your head saying, this is, this feels right. This doesn't feel right. And then, um, you know, using that with the, the knowledge of the people around you to make tough decisions sometimes. Mm-hmm. No, those are really good, valuable lessons that I think anybody can pick up and, and leverage. Cause I think your intuition and your gut, um, yeah. You know, once you sort of get attuned to that, you can trust that a little bit more than you think you can. And when you're oh, younger yeah. too, you're like, what do I know? I've just been here for six I, months, you know? I mean, I, these guys have been here for 20 years, so I, I can't trust my gut yet because I'm sure it's wrong, you know? But yeah, it's it's more powerful than you think it is. Yeah, it is. And I think sometimes, you know, you'd ask me about being a woman. I think sometimes as a woman, sometimes we question ourselves probably a little bit more Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, um, but the older I've gotten, the more I have found, you know, my intuition, my gut to be pretty reliable. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the more trust you have in yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I know my wife's intuition is the most powerful thing in this house. And so I learned <laughs> a long time ago not to question it because it's pretty much spot on. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that's so funny. Well, cool. So um, I, I know you spent, what, four years in the Army? Yeah, about four and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. So um, any other um, highlights that you want to talk about just in terms of what you've learned or experiences or anything that you took with you? You know, I, to me, it just was a great way to um, to transition from college into the, you know, into the real world, so to speak. Um you get opportunities to, to build confidence. You get experiences in, you know, all kinds of different things, leadership and, and, you know, technical aspects that, um, you know, that you don't necessarily get as a somebody right out of college. So to me, I think you just, the other thing too, that I think I like about the military is that um, as a platoon leader, I had, um, people from all walks of life, from all over the world, all over the country that were part of um, part of my platoon. And um, you get to learn how to, um, how to understand people differently when you understand where they, you know, what their backgrounds are, where they come from. And I think those types of um, soft skills, I think come in handy as you, you know, as you progress throughout your career. Yeah. Leading teams, things like that. Yeah. That's great. And you mentioned diversity, which I think is certainly critical now um, Yeah. Um, because, sure. you know, my teams are from all over the world. And so getting that experience early on, I think probably helped you a lot. Yeah, it is. Um, it, those soft skills that you learn to me are just just as important as any sort of, you know, technical acumen or anything that you need, depending on the discipline, you know, that you've chosen for your career. Yeah. Yeah. So as you get to the end of your, your four-year commitments, are you thinking of re-enlisting or, or re-upping or whatever the, the correct term is? Or were you thinking, you know what, I'm ready for the private sector? So um, at that time, I had met my now husband. Um, we had been dating for a while. He, at that point, was in about seven years, I think. He'd been about seven years at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I had just made captain and they were talking about um, company command and they were talking about sending me to Kuwait to be a company commander in Kuwait. And um, I think when I originally went into the army, I thought I at least want to be a company commander, mm-hmm. but I, um, the idea of going to Kuwait, like I said, you know, my now husband and I had been dating for a while I thought, you know, I think this is the time for me to go ahead and uh, and make a change. So I um, decided to to start looking at civilian careers. And um, there was a uh, a search firm that specialized in military officers, and um, and Sprint happened to use this uh, this search firm. And I actually interviewed with um, Deloitte at the time as well to be a consultant for Deloitte and ended up taking the, the job at Sprint. So tell me about the transition. Um, so were you, did your husband stay in the military? He did. He stayed in another year after I, um, after I got out, but since I moved to Atlanta and he was in Augusta, you know, we did the long distance thing for about a year and then gotcha. he had just taken, um, I'm trying to say, Oh, he had, um, he had won an army wide award and um, he was redoing some logistic stuff, and so, and then they wanted him to um, to do some company command stuff too. So um, he ended up staying for another year after I left. 
Gotcha. Okay. So it wasn't like a huge move that you had to go like across the country. No, or... exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, because I remember when you started at Sprint, we talked about it earlier, um, and that sort of transitioned you into moving to Bell South for a good bit of time, correct? That's right. Yeah. So Bell South at that time was just starting to get, they were a local phone company at that point. We were just starting to transition into um, long distance and they were really ramping up that department. So um, they were recruiting from the long distance carriers, so Sprint, AT&T, um, MCI, I think at that point was still around. So they were recruiting people from, um, from those groups and they um, brought me over to run um, one of their external carriers. Um, they, at that point, had a um, calling card, and they brought me over to manage their um, 1-800-BELL-SOUTH calling card. <laughs> that, was my, that was my next job after Sprint. Gotcha. Yeah, and that, I, I know I glossed over Sprint. We were, we were pricing analysts, basically. So we yeah. worked with yep. salespeople to, uh, to negotiate deals and to make sure that... Uh, you know, we were, you know, locking down customers for long-term, you know, agreements. We had small, medium, large enterprise, national accounts. I mean, there was a, a lot of, a lot of verticals that we all worked in and it was, um, it was a great, it was just a great group. I think we had a great camaraderie there. It was one of the few we places did. that I think about. I'm like, you know, we were all pretty similar in terms of our stages in life. And, um, you know, we did stuff outside the office. We cared about each other in the office. It was, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, you know, one of the things about the military is the camaraderie that you have with your um, with your fellow, you know, officers and, and enlisted folks. Um, and I felt like that that same camaraderie existed at Sprint as well. I would agree yeah. with you on that. You know, I didn't even think about this until we started talking today, but I'm wondering if that influx of military veterans helped kind of, you know, at least foster that camaraderie and that that feeling of a team and and what goes into that because i because okay. um, i think they probably did it had to i think just if y'all have you know experienced that in your you know your military careers why it makes sense that you bring it into a you know the, the company culture as well yeah i think so too and i think you know plus you know back then we were all you know in our 20s and mm -hmm. um you know most were, I don't, I'm trying to think, most probably still didn't have, um, I think you did already at that point. You had kids already, I believe. Did you? Um, so my, my oldest was born in 96. So, so right uh, around that. Yeah. 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 I think, in the, you know, the Olympics were a big buzz in Atlanta. There was a lot happening. I mean, there was huge telecom build outs. It was just, and, and I think the economy was starting to really thrive too. So there yeah. was a lot of, a lot of, a uh, lot of great experiences that we had there. Yeah. Yeah, it was, we were, you know, we were, for the most part, young and, you know, kind of, let's go out after after work and have some drinks and, and that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, it was, good. it was just a good group of people. But I think for, you know, the, the, the younger audience that's, you know, looking for a place to, to fit in and feel like they're, they've got a home, you know, I think that's a really important yeah. um, aspect when you're looking at companies or when you're looking at jobs that, you know, you need to interview the company as much as the company is interviewing you, because if it's not a good fit, you're going to be miserable and you're not going to grow. I would 100% echo that. I think, um, you know, we spend so much of our waking lives um, at work. So, you know, you've got to enjoy the job itself, but you also have to enjoy the people that you work with. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and there's a saying that, you know, people don't leave jobs. They leave, um, you know, the people that they work with or work for. So, um, you know, that they that definitely plays a large, I think, role in, in people's, you know, what, what they like to do and where they work. Definitely. Yeah, I completely agree. Because um, I, 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 I know that yours probably had two hours worth of experiences. You could tell me about Bell South. I do want to get to your kind of career pivot. So um, as you get to the, uh, you know, kind of the end of, of Bell South, or maybe even throughout your experience there, were you thinking I could make a career out of Bell South? Or were you thinking, you know what, there's more I want to try to do? So I was at Bell South for about eight years. And um, when I sort of what prompted me to leave was AT&T acquired Bell South. And I knew at that point that I was most likely going to have to move to Dallas. Um, they were at that point talking that the headquarters was going to be in Dallas. And um, over my, my time at Bell South, I ran um, a piece of the international um, carrier business. And then I moved over to small business marketing. And it's interesting, as I moved into small business marketing, sort of the entrepreneurial flair that I had started to um, erupt a little bit more. Like I started <laughs> to pay attention to that entrepreneurial spirit. Uh -huh. um, so as I was sort of deciding, okay, do I stick it out with Bell South and know that there's probably going to be a really small contingent in Atlanta that the bigger contingent is going to be in, um, in Dallas, you know, do I stay here? I got a call from an executive search firm that was filling a job um, at Cox Communications, basically doing what I had been doing at Bell South. So I said, well, let me listen. Let me talk to them. Let me listen. So I go and I meet with the executive search firm. And during my conversations with them, the, the conversation pivoted. And they said, what do you think about working for us? Um, and long story short, that's the decision I ended up making was to get to work for the executive search firm. Wow. And I mean, that's such a great uh, example of opportunities and doors opening that yeah. you don't even anticipate, but you have to be aware and ready to embrace that when it does present itself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, and that's one of the things, you know, I think we had talked earlier about like, you know, as you think back over your career is sort of keeping your eyes and ears open for, those subtle little messages that, that come your way and, um, you know, walking through those doors sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And that's, we were talking earlier about, you know, intuition and trusting your gut. That's yep. another example where you'd lean on that, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So moving from uh, a big organization like Bell South to, um, to a recruiting firm, how does that transition work for you? It was great. So to me, like I said, I had this sort of entrepreneurial voice in my head. I think I'd like to do something, but the idea of going totally alone was a little bit scary to me. So the executive search firm gave me the opportunity to run my own little business, but still have some um, some folks around me that I could you know bounce ideas off of and um, and look to for help and. Um, you know, they had some infrastructure support. So it was sort of my tiptoe into entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. um, and I learned a lot about myself in that too, because as somebody who is, you know, pretty outgoing, I thought, well, the business development piece for me, finding clients, 
is going to be easy. It's the, you know, the recruiting piece that would be a little bit scary for me. And what I found was it was actually the opposite. Hmm. Um, I got into executive search. The recruiting piece was actually pretty easy to learn. What I realized about myself is, is I was out networking with, in many cases, former Bell South colleagues who had now gone on to work in other places in different companies. You know, I'd meet them for coffee and talk a little bit about what I was doing. But I had a hard time transitioning from, you know, having a conversation from somebody that I knew and I was friends with, Mm -hmm. asking them for help and asking them for the business. Yeah. That part was much harder for me than I thought it was going to be. That was a learning lesson for me. Yeah. So how did you overcome that? Was it just just repetition and experiences and learning from maybe things that didn't work well and going, okay, here's how I should do something different. I'm going to try that. Yeah. So um, I, you know, I talked to some of my coworkers um, at the search firm about what they did and, and if any of those folks had, you know, what their strategies were and how they overcome it. So I overcame it. And, um, and then I just sort of tiptoed into it. Like I, you know, tried different tactics for myself and, and some folks that I felt really comfortable with, I was just very honest with and said, you know, I, I feel like I need to have this conversation with you. It feels a little bit weird. And, and, um, and the more reassurance I got from those folks, the more comfortable um, it got and the easier it got for me. That's, that's it's great. Practice. It's just, I think it's just practice. Yeah. Yeah. I think the more you, the more reps you put into really anything, you understand more about, yeah. you know, what it takes to succeed, what you, and everyone's different too, right? Your, yeah. your strategies for sales or, you know, closing a deal might be different than somebody else's and you still might get it, but it's, you know, what, what you're comfortable with and, and where your, you know, your, um, your strengths are. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, it was, it was not a skill set that I had ever used before. So it was just something that I needed to practice and um, kind of figure out what worked for me. Very cool. So let's talk about MomCore because I know that's where you and I, I think reconnected. I know my wife was, you know, she was looking at some opportunities and, and when you, when you landed there, I thought that's really an interesting mm-hmm. aspect of it. So tell me how that came up and, and a little bit about what you did there. Yeah. So um, MomCore was actually started by a, um, a friend of mine who um, she had gone to UGA, um, was a CPA and, um, and then eventually went on to get her um, master's degree at Harvard, got recruited by um, Toys R Us, I think in the training program, and then had a family. And she's like, oh, she's like, I can't rotate jobs and move every couple of months in this management training program. So she said, I'm just going to go back and do accounting work on the side. Um, And then she had so much work, she ended up farming it out to her friends. And um, she realized pretty soon, she's like, wait a minute, I have a business here. So she launched the business. And after several years, she thought, you know what? I think I'm going to move to a franchise model. And we had gotten to know each other through my executive search days. We sort of had an informal partnership with her. And one day I was having coffee with her and she said, you know, I'm thinking about franchising and I'm looking for people who have a business background like yourself, but also understand um, staffing and executive search and recruiting and all of that. She's like, mm-hmm. your back- background is perfect for what I'm looking for. So as somebody who, um, who was a um, relatively new mom and um, 
really appreciated the idea of flexibility. Um, it was something that I was excited about. You know, I embraced the idea. And so, you know, I thought about it quite a bit. I talked to my husband and said, this is that my time at the executive search firm is really what prepared me now to fully go out essentially on my own by owning this franchise. So I am thankful for my time at the executive in the executive search world because it first of all it opened up the door to you know to owning the mom for franchise, but mm -hmm. it, it was it gave me the skill sets I needed to truly you know run my own business. So um, so I started the um, the Atlanta franchise and. Um, what I found too was the idea of what mom poor did, which was finding um, or filling, excuse me, filling professional level, flexible jobs. 95% of the times it was moms, but we did have a lot of dads too that, hmm. you know, had professional careers, wanted to work with, they wanted some form of flexibility. And as somebody, like I said, that was a mom, that was exciting to me. It was, it was an idea that I could get passionate about. And I found that it, from a business development perspective, it was much easier for me to talk about because it was something that I, not to say I wasn't excited about executive search, but this was something that I really got excited about. And the business development side became much easier for me. So I worked with companies uh, in and around Atlanta. I know you worked at uh, Equifax. That was one of our clients. And we filled you know, contract positions, uh, flexible positions, part-time positions uh, for companies in and around Atlanta. I mean, what a great opportunity. What a great idea. Because I know that, you know, for any, any woman that's got children or they've, you know, they've had a successful career. And then when they start a family, there's always, you know, there's, there's this debate, you can have it all, but you really can't, or you're going to have to sacrifice, or you can't sort of juggle both. And I think as men, you know, in the traditional married father husband sense it's like okay i go to work and that's really all i need to do I, i'm a provider and i bring that home and, but you know it's blended families um unique situations divorces all those things kind of you know right. certainly break that model apart and it's great to see an opportunity like this it gives you know professional um you know educated women an opportunity to be able to you know be a little more flexible with their their home life and their work life still getting right you know, that um, I think that accomplishment that they've worked hard to achieve in their professional life and still be able to have, you know, time or adjust around their family schedule too. Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we had all of those situations, blended families, divorce situations. We had, mm -hmm. you know, folks who just were like, my kids are in school from eight to two. I'd like to do, you know, something different. I'd like to, yeah. you know, um, to practice my trade or whatever that, um, you know, that I used to do. And, um, and that's what we did. Yeah, that's great. So you were there for a while, right? Yeah. So I owned the franchise for, um, for 10 years and it came time to decide, you know, do I want to continue in, you know, do I want to renew my franchise agreement, continue in that space or do I, um, do I want to do something different? And, um, the opportunity that I have now came knocking and, um, <laughs> And uh, I decided to go down this path. Another door open for you, Nicole. You've, Another you've, door. <laughs> uh, you've had so many of those. That's amazing. So tell me what you're doing now. So um, so I work for a company called TechCXO. And um, our company is, 
we've got about a hundred K one partners. So think of like partners in a law firm mm-hmm. um, that are all former C level executives. So we have CFOs, uh, CTOs, technology officers, um, CMOs. Um, we have an HR practice. So all former C level executives, and um, and they consult with companies, and we're spread out across the country. Um, really, kind of in three different capacities. One is sort of you know interim. If um, if somebody needs an interim CFO, you know they're looking to hire somebody full time, but they know it's going to take six months or so. Um, maybe they'll bring us in on an interim basis or fractional. Maybe they don't need somebody full time. They'll bring somebody in for a couple hours a week or advisory. So you know maybe they're getting ready to go through an acquisition or you know some some sort of transaction. And they need some advisory help um, because they've never done it before. So um, those are the types of things that are um, that our partners uh, work work on. And then we've got another fifty or so staff folks who um, support those C levels. So, for example, in the CFO practice, we have <clears throat> excuse me, controllers, accountants, VPs of finance that the CFOs can bring in. Or in our CTO practice, we've got. Um, program managers, project managers, we've got mm-hmm. marketing folks, different things like that. Well, what happened was um, about two and a half years ago, they realized that um, all of the partners were externally focused. They were focused on clients and, um, you know, on, you know, generating revenue and all that kind of stuff. But TechCXO was at the size that they realized, whoa, we need somebody internally focused. We don't have anybody that's really kind of focused on running the day-to-day business. So mm-hmm. they said, we need to bring in an operations person. So um, they, so I met with them um, by actually, ironically, somebody that I used to work with uh, that I had kept in touch with. And um, and I talked to her and said, I'm not sure if I'm going to continue my mom core. I'm thinking about maybe she's like, well, we're looking for somebody in an operations role. She introduced me to um, to the managing partner here. Uh, I met with the executive committee, you know, about the role and what their expectations were. And, and they liked my background, the fact that, um, you know, I had just run my own business, that I um, understood consulting. Um, and then um, I had the opportunity to come in here and um, did that about two and a half years ago. And then about uh, a year ago, they um, formally made me the the chief operating officer. Uh, that's amazing. Congratulations. That's thank awesome. You. Thank you. Thank you. So what do you like most about your job? Um, I, so I love change. I thrive in a rather <laughs> chaotic environment. I love when um, there's a lot of problems to be solved. Um, so, you know, for example, when I came in, you know, we had, um, we had staff that was, um, that were all paid differently and they were classified differently. So I knew enough from my background that I needed to put some structure around there. Or, you know, we um, we didn't have any sort of formal communication. We didn't have an intranet or, you know, um, there were no, there was no structure in the way that we ran the organization. So, um, you know, and we're still evolving. And I love um, that I get to work with, you know, I've, since then I've brought in an HR person and, um, have expanded our accounting, internal accounting team and things like that. So sort of creating things and process and 
and coming up with ideas on, on how to do things differently and, and more efficiently and better. Um, and it's every day is different. And um, I absolutely love that about my job. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm really that's, lucky. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. So are you, um, are you, so for, to think of, of how to, uh, to phrase this. So for somebody coming into the workforce from say college and they wanted to go into um, even like a recruiting space or some of the experiences, what, what advice would you give them just in terms of general um, uh, transitioning into the workforce? Um, out of college? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, and we talked about this very briefly, I would say as you're going through college, Take the opportunity to meet with people um, that are in areas that you might be interested in. You know, I, I'm a big believer, you know, talk to people to see, you know, for example, in different jobs that you're interested in, if they like what they do, like if they, um, if there's something that they would do differently. So I think, um, you know, talking with people about the, the areas that you might be interested in um is, is key getting information to make an educated decision as you figure out what job to take or which path to take as you're getting out of um out of um college the other mm -hmm. thing i would say is you know recognize that you're gonna in many cases have to start even though you have a college degree you might have to start at the bottom and get to know um you know the very basic workings of a company so um, you know, if you're interested in recruiting, for example, um, you might have to start out, um, you know, sourcing, learning a very specific part of recruiting and then move into, you know, the learning about how to do an interview and different types of interviews and, and learning about the cultural match with, um, with a company. And, you know, if you have a client that you're filling a job for, you know, slowly learning how to pick up on cultural cues so that you're matching um, making good matches in terms of cultural fits and things like that. So, you know, knowing that you're not going to come in right out of college and be a manager of people, um, you know, and, and that you're going to have to work your way up, I think is, is you know, pretty valuable. So be mm -hmm. open to that. That's great advice. Um, would you say um, if you had to go back in time, would any of those um, words of wisdom apply to you? What would you give yourself? Uh, what advice would you give yourself? Um, you know, so we talked about sort of paying attention to, to hints. I think, you know, for me, like leaving Bell South and um, and taking that call from the executive search firm and then listening to what they had to say ended up, even though I didn't end up going the route of what they originally called me for, um, I that conversation and me being open and I think is what led me to, you know, to, to being open to the opportunity of the executive search firm, which to me is what sort of catapulted me into owning Momport into the job that I am in now. So I think, you know, being open and listening and paying attention to your gut and open to different cues, um, I think is pretty, is pretty important as you, you know, as you think about what it is you're going to do right out of college. Yeah, that's great. No, it's uh, certainly uh, tremendous advice, I think, for anybody, but certainly for 
the younger audience that's coming out into the world, you know, and, and experimenting, being open to different things, don't rule anything out. And, and you may yeah. not realize that the decision, you know, that you think might be, you know, kind of, you know, minor or inconsequential could be the driving factor that changes the rest of your career trajectory, right? Right. And I think don't be stuck on a particular, like I, you know, I think I said this earlier, but like when I was in high school, I, um, I had these you know visions of being a senior executive in a large international company and all this stuff. Well, when I was at Bell South, I mean, that's sort of, I was still on that path. And then, um, you know, being open to listening to other things, like, a, you know, not to be repetitive, but yeah, the executive search firm, you know, I sort of took a little bit of a left turn and mm -hmm. got such great experiences, which, which is really what landed me in what I feel like now is the perfect job for me. I'm, you know, I get to be in an executive role, but I also uh, get to maintain the flexibility you know, that I've had for ever since basically having my mom four days, because we all, we're all, we all work virtually. So, yeah. um, you know, so I, um, to me ended up with the best of both worlds, keeping the flexibility that I wanted as a parent, but having um, a leadership role that I, you know, wanted early on in my career. That's great. Well, I'm so happy for you. I'm glad your career has worked out um, so many good ways for you. And it's always great to connect with you and, and um, talk about some of the old days and learn about some new tactics as well. Well, thanks for having me. I um, really enjoy catching up with you and, and talking about reminiscing for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, making me think back to those, uh, to those years. It's been a lot of fun. That's great. Well, thanks so much for sharing your journey. And uh, have a good day, Nicole. Thank you. Yes, bye.